ask God to bless us. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for your spirit. We thank you so much for those beautiful children that you've, um, you've placed your spirit in. That's so true, so real, so obvious is it when you and your words say that the kingdom of heaven is made up of such. That they're angels, they stand before you every single day. Thank you, God, that your word tells us how special children are to you. God, may you bless your word to our hearts. May our hearts be enlarged. May our, our mind be opened. May our lives be changed. And may there be a, um, an awakening, an epiphany even, of our minds today by the power of your love and the light, and the light of the day. In Christ's name, amen. We start First Peter, and if you are new to our church, we are Calvary Chapel. Calvary Chapel was originated, founded um, in uh, California by a man named Chuck Smith in, uh, what was that beach town called again? Costa Mesa, thank you. His, uh, his wife, is that where you're from? Really? Well, that's where our whole movement, in the 60s, Chuck Smith and his wife Kay, they had a church they were going to called Foursquare. And to them, it was a little bit more uh, charismatic than Chuck believed. So he went and he started his own church. And one day, his wife was looking out over the beach. It was the 60s, it was the early 60s, and the hippie movement had just begun. And there were druggies and alcoholics. And he, watching a generation go down the crapper, and he looked at his, uh, his wife looked at him, Kay looked at him and said, Honey, I think that the ministry that we should focus on is bringing Christ to those lost souls out there. And that started the Calvary Chapel movement, <clears throat> which in the 60s and 70s was the Jesus movement and Maranatha worship. And if you look at the history of Calvary Chapel, it's, it's just beautiful. And it's always been, um, since I learned who Chuck Smith was, and now that there's something called YouTube, and you can listen to all of Chuck Smith's teachings, I just love going and, and going back to the basics. So every time we start a book, I print out the introduction that's in my, I have a Chuck Smith Bible that gives you his little bits of commentary. He's the guy that I always get my final. I, I rarely will disagree um, biblically, spiritually with, with Chuck Smith's teaching, if, if ever, and I always like to go back. That is the foundation of what we believe at Calvary Chapel, and it, it Lord willing, always will be. <coughs> so, <coughs> this is what Chuck Smith wrote as an introduction to the book of 1 Peter. This book was written by the Apostle Peter and was addressed to the Jewish believers who were in the region of Asia Minor or present-day Turkey. It was written after the writings of Paul, probably around A.D. 65 to 67. There is some question as to where Peter was when he wrote the letter. He offers greetings from the church in Babylon, but we aren't sure what he meant by Babylon. There are those who suggest that it was literally Babylon, which was present-day Iraq, but there are those who say Peter was actually in Rome at the time and was using Babylon as a code word for Rome. Please, let's stop right there. It's very interesting that um, Chuck Smith does a lot of his teachings into when the 
epistle writers in the New Testament writing, they used code words for other things. And to learn why those code words were there, because back then, for them to go preach the gospel was major, major no-no according to the government, according to the Caesars. And when, when Nero burnt Rome down and blamed the, uh, the Jews, I'm sorry, the Christians for it, everybody fled, Jews and Christians alike. But when they were going back to Rome to witness, they would say, oh yeah, we're in Babylon. So that's what, that, that's what he's talking about there, if you didn't uh, catch that. This is probably the major opinion among scholars. Revelation 17 is another passage of scripture that seems to refer to Rome as Babylon. Tradition says that Peter was martyred in Rome, so if it was written from Rome, it was probably near the end of Peter's life. The theme of this book is suffering. The Christians were now undergoing increasing, increasingly intense suffering and needed to be instructed and encouraged in the light of this suffering. They needed to understand that suffering is a normal part of the Christian life and that it was a way to relate to the sufferings of Jesus, which Peter had witnessed personally. They also needed to know how important it is to remain loyal and submissive to the Lord. As Peter learned the hard way, he had denied the Lord. Then they then needed to focus on the hope that is in Jesus and the glory of an eternity in heaven. It is our eternal hope that ultimately puts present suffering into perspective. There are some who have questioned whether or not Peter could have written this book. They say that an uneducated fisherman could never have written something this profound, but that ignores the change that Peter underwent following the resurrection of Jesus and the day of Pentecost. The time that he spent with Jesus, the experience of being forgiven and restored by him, and the filling of the Spirit made Peter a different person. This tough fisherman was now using words like precious. He was a man who had been forever transformed by his relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's your introduction. Let me tell you a couple of stories about the guy who wrote the book or the epistle, that's a fancy Bible scholar word for the letter we're about to study. His name was Peter. His father owned a fishing business of which he ran. He was tough, he was strong, he was type A personality. There's probably as much in the Bible about Peter in the first, in the, in the, um, in the uh, what's called Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as anybody else, obviously, except the Lord Jesus. We learn about him, and as men, especially, we see ourselves in Peter. Peter is the one who, at the beginning, told the Lord Jesus, uh, excuse me, the same fish that are over here are over here. We don't throw a net into the water when the fish are on both sides, if there's no fish. You see, when it's day, the fish go down to the deep. He's the one that tried to explain that to the Lord. And then when the Lord threw the net in, you guys know what happened. They caught so many fish, it almost sunk the boat. He's the one that, after that, that looked at the Lord. Get away from me. So in the presence of holiness, so aware of his own filthiness, just don't even look at me. He's the one that actually rebuked the Lord and said to him, hey, 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 you're not going to the cross. 
he was actually, I mean, imagine this. The Lord Jesus literally grabbed him by the scruff and said, Get thee behind me, Satan. You are not mindful of the things of God, but of man. I mean, imagine the Lord Jesus saying that to you. That'll leave a lasting impression, huh? He's the one that had that discussion with the Lord. I love this. one of my favorite stories that, uh, about Peter. Peter goes out, uh, and, and the Lord says to him, Hey, where are you going? Oh, we're going to go to the temple. Oh, okay, well, he asked Peter, Can I ask you a question? Sure. He said, this, Who pays the temple tax? Is it the sons or the visitors? So the visitors, of course. So what I want you to do is I want you to go out. I want you to take a hook and throw it in the water and catch a fish. And the first fish you find, you're going to find a, a coin, the temple tax, literally in there. And he goes out and he throws it and finds a coin. And he says to the, the Lord actually says to him, the sons are free. Now, I, I screwed the story up a little bit, but let me explain to you why. Right before that, the Pharisees said to Peter, Hey, Peter, um, does, your, uh, does your master, does your sensei, does your rabbi pay the temple tax? And he says, Of course he pays the temple tax. Of course he pays it. But then right after that, the Lord says to him, Hey, Peter, who pays the temple tax? He says, The visitors. He said, Then the sons are free. Always Peter had foot in mouth disease, always saying the wrong thing, always doing the wrong thing, always, always, always screwing up, but always two hands ready to work. He's the one that denied Christ three times. There's an old joke in Christian circles. Do you know why Christians like chicken so much? They're getting even with that rooster for telling on Peter. If you didn't get that joke, it's because you haven't read the Bible enough. <laughs> One day, if you didn't get that joke, you're going to read the Bible and go, oh, <laughs> that guy's funny. <laughs> First Peter, chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus and Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Please give me your attention. What I'm about to read to you is some of the sweetest, most beautiful, comforting words that you could ever hear as a believer or non-believer. What you're about to receive is not just the plan of Christ, the understanding of what and who he was. The first introduction, he says, I'm really, I'm, I'm, all you folks in Asia Minor, you haven't heard from me, but I am the Apostle Peter. I am the one you've heard so much about. And I'm writing this letter to you to show you what God has done for me. And he sends this letter out. And he says, grace to you and peace be multiplied. Very famous um, Bible scholars always say, remember, brothers and sisters, there's never peace without grace. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away 
reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Give me your attention. It was the latter part of the 65, 66, 67, right after Christ ascended, and it was of their impression that he was going to return soon. He, they had watched him ascended, and he said, the same way that he left, he's coming back. And they believed that it would be soon. They didn't know when, just like us. And the prosecution and the persecution on the Christians got worse and worse and worse, and they didn't know what they were going to do. Their churches were being burnt down and broken into. The government was all over them. The people hated them because Nero blamed them for everything. It's the Christians! I can't help but point out to you all the obvious. It seems like we're in a very similar time. Our persecution and our prosecution is nigh. It is near. The return of Jesus Christ is eminent, as Chuck Smith put it. Whenever you hear the word eminent, think to yourself in a minute. And here he wants to comfort them by saying, listen, no matter what you're going through, and here's what he wants me to say to you, no matter what you're going through, whether it's sickness, whether it's turmoil, whether it's family problems, whether it's financial, physical, spiritual, mental, emotional, it doesn't matter. Nothing, and I mean nothing, is going to compare to the glory that you will have in Christ. Nothing. Nothing. It's like you're living in a, a black and white world and when you go to heaven, you will see color for the first time, a dimension of peace, a dimension of joy. You're here this amount. This is a test. This ain't life. They keep telling you this is life. This ain't it. This is like college, man. It's only a couple years. Then your real journey begins. I'll read that again with those thoughts in your head. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope. Begotten us again. Not only were you born, there's an old saying, if you're born once, you die twice. If you're born twice, you only die once. He's begotten us again. Christian, you are born again. But here's the thing about being born again. You're born to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance, to an inheritance. When you breathe your last, it's not what you have left behind for others he's talking about. It's what he's left for you in heaven. When you die, you receive your inheritance. This is, this is world smashing. This is eye opening. If you can believe this, this will change the way you exist on earth. It'll stop your striving. It'll stop your struggle. 
incorruptible, undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. You know, um, let me share something crazy with you with my life. I, I, I shouldn't. I, might, I don't want you to look at me different. I moved to Florida in 1988 and I was homeless. I lived out of my 73 Monte Carlo. And um, what I did was I would live in my car or sleep on my cousin's couch and then my grandmother let her, me sleep on a cot in, in Margate. And um, then I met this girl. And I told her, listen, I want to start a business. I was going to go into the woods, into the, into the Everglades, and catch snakes and sell them to my friends who had pet stores in New York. And she's like, well, that sounds like a cockamamie idea. But I'm going to support you. She was making the money. She was a real estate agent. The struggle was every day, paycheck to paycheck. One child, another child, another child, another child, and two-bedroom house, and then her parents lent us money, and uh, it's just a struggle upon struggle upon struggle upon struggle. And then we get saved. We, she dedicates her life to the Lord. I get saved. And our biggest struggle is how do we serve God enough? Because so much God had done for us. And the craziest thing happens, guys. And listen, this is so important. For some of you guys, you're going to misunderstand this, and I risk that, and there's a part of me that's like, I shouldn't. That struggle, that striving to earn, to pay the mortgage, to pay the bills, it's sometimes what keeps you strong in the Lord. Because the craziest things happened over the last five years. Me and my wife don't struggle with money no more. God has so blessed our business. We don't struggle anymore with money. And now I'm wondering, now what? Some of you guys in here, and this is for you, 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 you now what? Your mortgage is paid, now what? Your car is, what? What now? Now, some of you guys are like, yeah, well, give me. I'd like to find out that, too. <laughs> Listen, this ain't for you, then. Staying on fire for the Lord, staying close to God, sometimes means He looks down from heaven, and to get the most out of you has to what's called baptize you in fire. Because if you don't have a struggle, if you don't have something you're striving toward Look, I'd like to put it this way. For those of you who are set monetarily, I know a few people and they're, you know, they got money, um, they're um, trust fund babies or their family's got money. The vast majority of them, drugs, alcohol, their whole life is just marriage, divorce, marriage, divorce, wayward kids. It's just, it's such a mess. And God sometimes says, not you. I'm not going to let that happen to you. And every time you try to make a business deal or a new job, it just seems to fall apart. But, but I'm doing the right thing. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled 
and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Everything that God's taken from you here on earth, he has reserved for you. And some of us are like, but why, God? But why did you let this happen? But why did you let that happen? God says, when you get here, it's all going to make sense. But the problem with that is, he says, do, do you believe it? I want to believe it. I have to believe it. I have nothing else to believe, some of us might say to God. And here, the apostle Peter is like, look, dude, I've been there. Nobody has done against God what I have done against God. And I'm telling you, he's forgiven me. And I believe this. I saw it with my own eyes. I watched him ascend. I watched him forgive me. He made me breakfast. And he said, Peter, do you love me? And I looked at him and I said, I really like you. He said, Peter, do you love me? You're my boy. I love you. I like you. And the third time he said to him, Peter, do you love me? And Peter looked at him and he said, look, you know my heart, man. I, I, I want to love you, but I don't want to sit here and say I love you and then go out there and screw up again. So many times I've done this. I said, I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm not going to do it. And then I do it again. Anybody relate? He said to Peter, one of the last things that the Lord said to Peter is, Peter, when you were younger, you went where you want, you did what you wanted to do. But when you're older, they're going to take you and you're going to do what they want you to do. And um, church tradition, church tradition, it's not in the Bible, but it, it is the tradition of the church that says, you know how Peter came to his glory? He was being crucified with the other Christians, and they said to him, okay, it's your turn, Apostle Peter. And he said, in only Peter fashion, you will not crucify me like my Lord. I'm not worthy. So they crucified him upside down. And just so you guys know, in case you're, um, this is going to sound crazy to some of you, that's where some of the, um, the antichrists, those that are against Christ, got the peace symbol. The peace symbol is literally an upside down cross. So next time you wear a peace symbol, remember the origins of it, they weren't pleasant. They weren't pleasant. I mean, you could steal it and say, no, now it means peace to me. Well, that's fine, but that's not what it originally meant. It was an upside down cross, a peace symbol. In this you greatly rejoice now, though now, for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The revealing, that's not a reference to the book of Revelation. He said, listen, though what you're going through now on earth is tough, 
It's hard. It's impossible. Everything in your flesh wants to go one way. Everything in your spirit wants to go another way. And the Bible is telling you to walk this way. It's hard. And you're tested. And you're proven. And your faith, though, the belief in Christ, it's not like gold or silver. That's nothing. Hold on to it. Because at the revealing of Christ Jesus, man, your faith will be more important than the money you have, more important than the influence you have, more important than the things that you've accomplished on this earth. Your faith is what's going to save you. Not your status. And yeah, he says, and, and I want you to look at the language here. The language kind of bothers me a little bit, and I'm going to show you why. He says, verse 7, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than the gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. Verse 6 again, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, what do you mean, if need be? Why, if need, no, it don't need be. I'm cool. Hey, I got an idea. From now on, if you would just give me enough money, like no more sickness, no more illness, no more death in my life, okay, I will march into the kingdom of heaven. I will tell everybody I know about you, and then you just make it good for me from here on out. Not going to happen. Because you're not going to do that. You know you're not going to do that. <laughs> so if need be, your faith's got to be tested. It's got to be refined. It's no... This walk ain't no cakewalk. It's hard, man. The day you get saved... Listen, the day you got saved, one-third of all the angels put a mark on your heart to say, Kill upon sight, marked for death by one-third of all the angels. Yeah, I know. This is, this is a roughie, but watch. It's, it's going to become a Christmas message in a second. It's really cool. It really does. Verse 8. No, read the latter part of 7. May be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith. What's the end of your faith? It's the salvation of your soul. If you have not been moved, um, I, I told you guys last week about this girl, Tasha Cobb. Have any of you guys looked her up, Tasha Cobb? Have you seen some of her music? Have you, you watched this, this angel sing? She's got that song, um, He Knows My Name. If when you're watching this song, I'm not talking about when you're in your car driving. I'm not talking about when you're in your, If you're sitting alone, if you're reading your Bible, if you're spending some time in prayer, and then before you leave, you just want a song to worship, and you put that song on, and you're not 
moved, if you're not teared up a little bit, if you're not what the Jews call verklempt, you got to check. you got to check. Something might be wrong. you got to check. You see, here the Apostle Peter says, you love him even though you can't see him. But you can't see him, but you rejoice with this inexpressible joy. Who you, you don't even know. What? Why am I crying? I remember being in church. I didn't know why I was going to church. I was going Sunday night. Me and my girlfriend were going to church, this church. This guy was preaching. He reminded me of Dana Carvey. He was a funny guy. But every time he preached the Bible, I'd be like, Ugh! he's talking to me. I know he's talking to me. You told him something, didn't you? You sent him an email or something. I was sure. I was sure somebody told this guy about me. Because he left no stone on, like, everything he preached. Usually I'd listen to somebody talk or preach. It was like I shoot holes in their argument. No more cracks in that guy's bridge than there are. In, not this dude. Not this dude. Everything. And in my head I'd be thinking, yeah, well, what about? And all of a sudden he'd say, because he knows. Every week I'd go to this church and that music was so bad. It was so bad. It was what we used to call in the world, it was just so gay, it was so corny. It was so nice. But something about it just grabbed my heart every time. I'd sit there. I didn't know what it was. If you're not moved, Check it. I'm telling you, check it. The Bible says test yourself to find out of your faith. If you're not moved, you might just be coming here for the wrong reason, in which I suggest you go back out there, live like hell until heaven is birthed in your heart. Because the worst thing in the world is to come to church every week and to find out that you never really believed. They used to call it missing heaven by 18 inches. You knew it here, but you didn't have it here. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith. You see, if you have a New King James, you see it says the end of your faith and then there's a line. You know what that line is? Your life! I want you to go to a cemetery and see where you see those lines. Born. Died. There's that line. And all that line is is your life. The time you spend here on earth, there it is right there. The end of your faith. The salvation of your soul. Of this salvation, now dig this last part. Here's where it becomes a, Christi uh, a Christmas message. You're going to love it, I hope. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. Did you hear that? 
all these prophets, all these years, thus says the word of the Lord, thus says the Lord, they searched and searched and prayed and they prophesied. You know who they prophesied for? You! Him speaking to these people in modern-day Turkey, in Asia Minor. But, but now he's speaking to us. You need proof? I'm going to show you proof, he says. Continuing. Searching what? Or what manner of time? The Spirit of Christ who is in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed, but not for themselves, not to themselves, listen, but to us. They were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. All these prophecies, all these scripture verses, let me take you back. Here's where it becomes a Christmas message. You ready? Five thousand years ago, Adam and Eve, they're in the Garden of Eden, and the devil appears to Eve and says, Hey, where's your husband? Eyes. Ah, Till in the field. He goes, look at that incredible tree. You should have a piece of that fruit on there. Oh, no, God said we shouldn't. Oh, only God told you that because he knew you'd be like him. God doesn't want you to be smart like he's smart. He wants you to die, and I want you to live. So, you guys know the story. And then when they get busted and God shows up, here's what God says in Genesis 3, 14 and 15. So the Lord God said to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Huh? That is what is called in Bible scholars the proto-evangelum. The Proto-Evangelum. That is what in Bible colleges they call the first mention of the gospel. Where it is prophesied that the seed of the woman through the Spirit of God would defeat the enemy. Oh, Ryan, I think you're looking into that a little bit more. Okay, maybe so. Let's go 3,000 years ago. But you, Bethlehem, Ephratah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. That's from the book of Micah 5, 2 through 5. That is the fulfillment that in Bethlehem the Christ would be born. No? That doesn't move you? Okay. Isaiah 9, 7, and 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom. Isaiah wrote that 700 years before the birth of Christ. 
Right, there's a movie? Okay. Well, how about this one? Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. It is not enough to try the patience of men. Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. That was also 700 years before. The prediction that a virgin, a young maiden, never with a man, would become pregnant. No? Not yet? Okay. Psalm 72. The kings of Tarshish and of the distant shores will bring tribute to him. The kings of Sheba and Sheba will present to him gifts. All kings will bow down to him, and all nations will serve him. Hmm. Genesis 17 says that he would be born of the seed of Abraham. Genesis 17 says he'd be born of the seed of Isaac. Genesis 28 says he'd be the seed of Jacob, a star out of Jacob. The book of Exodus said he would be a firstborn son. Isaiah 11 said he'd be a rod out of the stem of Jesse, who is David's father. Isaiah 11 said he'd be a rod out of the stem of Jesse also. Jeremiah 31 predicted the massacre of the children. Micah 5.2 said he'd have an eternal existence. Hosea 11.1 1 said he would be called out of Egypt. Psalm 69 said he'd be rejected by his brethren. Psalm 2 said he would, the rulers would take counsel against him. Psalm 118 said he'd be rejected as the chief cornerstone or the capstone. Malachi chapter 3 said he was to enter the temple. Isaiah 55 said he was to call those who were not his people, his people. Zechariah 9, 9, 9 and 9 says the king of Jerusalem shall come riding upon a donkey. Isaiah 8 said he'd be a stone and a stumbling block before the Jews. Isaiah 29 said, upon his coming, the deaf shall hear, the blind shall see. Isaiah 42 said he'll fulfill the promises of the Jews to be a light unto the Gentiles. Moved yet? Because I got about 75 more. I know this. I am more sure that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of God, than I am that Joe Biden is president. Deuteronomy says he would have been a prophet like Moses. Psalm 35 says he'd be hated without cause. Psalm 40 says he would come to do the will of God. Psalm 45 said he'd be, an, be anointed by God. Psalm 6, uh, 69 said he'd have zeal for God's house. I mean, on and on and on and on and on. Listen, let me tell you how this works. He wasn't born in December. <laughs> That's ridiculous. He was born, according to the Bible, during the harvest time. He was born sometime in October. And, I it was huh? I it was September, October. They're really not sure. It was during harvest, which back then, because the calendar year was 360 days and the Earth's uh, trajectory and its, its rotation is, is, is a little more now than it was then. Our calendar year is now 365. Back then, they were 360. And actually, the Catholic Church like screwed up by like four years. It's not actually 2,020 years after the birth of Christ. It's, it's, it doesn't matter. We're just celebrating it. 
We're celebrating the birth of our Savior. That's what we're doing. We hallow a day and call it Christ's birthday. But we do, man. This is all right. I dig this, man. This is great. These are fake. But if you go to Home Depot, they're real. book of first Peter is so perfect I can't guarantee you I cannot promise you that before we finish the book of first Peter we're not going to be raptured I can't make that guarantee to you I can't because it's a possibility enjoy your holiday do a little research if you're interested in some of the things I said there are over 150 prophecies Speaking of the coming of Messiah, where, when, how. When Peter wrote, of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. Searching what, what manner of time, the Spirit of Christ who was in them that was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was predicted in Psalm 22. It was predicted in Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 is amazing. It tells the whole story. Psalm 22, it says, They've pierced my hands and feet. I can number all my bones. It says, I am a worm and not a man. That word for worm in, in, in the 22nd chapter of the book of Psalms is the word toloth. This is a worm. Like we call inchworm. This is a worm that crawls up to trees. It fascinates. Have you ever seen on the trees, sometimes in Florida, it's like a shell of a, of a beetle that used to be there, and it's stuck to the tree, and you're like, oh, that's a scary bug. I'm glad he's gone. And... It's a locust. Is that a locust? Yeah, anybody? You see what I'm talking about? Yeah. Okay, you're from Brazil. That's why you've never seen one. I'm teasing you. So there's this worm, and he goes, he climbs up to the tree, and he fastens itself to the tree, and it gives birth inside of itself. It's a little white worm, and it gives birth, and the babies grow, and they start to literally eat the worm that gave birth to it. And while it's doing that, it turns red. And then when the babies are ready to, boom, it explodes, and there's a big red splotch all over the tree. And the babies, thousands of babies come out, and they go do that life cycle. The craziest thing happens. That red splotch, in a few days, turns completely white. Once the weather hits it, it gets weather-worn, it turns white. Oh, that's a toll-off. Yeah, that's the toll-off mark. And, the, and David, who wrote Psalm 22, said, I am a toll-off. Like, what? Accident? 
500 years before he was even born, let alone the sufferings that he would go through? Come on. I am more sure that Christ is exactly who he said he was than that I'm standing here before you. Because I'm really not sure about that. The Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that, not to themselves, but to us, that they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you, but by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things which angels desire to look into. Do you know the Bible actually says that angels are jealous of us? It says, the Bible says that you were made a little lower than the angels, yet crowned with this amazing glory. The Bible says, speaking about God toward us, that we are the excellent ones in all the earth, in whom is all his delight. He delights in us. The Bible says in Zechariah that he sings over us. His love for you, it's like that song. You got to go home. You got on your way home. Just YouTube. He knows my name, Tasha Cobbs. As a matter of fact, you know what? This is how we're going to end the service. Put that song on. Put that song. Put that song on there. Put that Tasha Cobbs up there. Let me pray. And um, you leave when you feel like leaving after the song's over, but just let this song roll over your heart, man. And listen to me. Listen to this girl. You can... Ah! Can you get that, Steve? All right. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this, this amazing man that you created to um, give us this amazing word. God, we love you. I pray now, right now, God, for when this song is played, that even though it's YouTube, it would be your tube, God. It would be something that moves on the hearts of men and women. And somebody here that's never worshipped, that's never had worship soften or touch their heart today, that would happen. Thank you, God, for your word. And thank you so much for those babies, that fun time we had with our babies. Thank you. Love you, God. And um, I don't know if this is sacrilegious or irreverent, God, but I just want to say to you, Father, Merry Christmas. Thank you. In In the name of your Son, Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. You got it?